0: hello and welcome inside take to take patrick town here as always joined alongside nick robinson and luke Burroughs for episode numero 50 this is just insane I, I i didn't realize we've done this many episodes uh who would have thought that three of us would be doing shows for this long and who would have thought a surprise look at us yeah I I would say the only I mean,
1: thing more surprising than us hitting 50 shows is that Nikita Zaitsev is the favorite for the Norris trophy right now. That's yeah. that's the only thing more surprising. Yeah.
0: Well, he's that.
1: uh best analytical defenseman so far, oh, three games in. That's why
2: I missed it. Yeah,
0: yeah, so we've been uh this what started as just three guys wanted to talk hockey on Spirit Live. Uh we continued that through the second semester first year and then Uh, continued second year in the summer, we did some shows when COVID hit, uh, did some stuff with Barnburner Network, left doing our own thing right now, have some interviews set up. Um, Do you guys have a a favorite moment, a favorite episode, at least, or or just out of all the episodes we've done? um, Is there one that you could think that was the best for either of you?
1: Got to be November 2019's uh, Christmas special before we wrapped up our second run with Spirit Live. That's got to be it. Uh, There are definitely some gems in there, and I I have gone back and listened a couple of times. Um, Loud Christmas music and yelling about hockey always makes for an interesting mix. Yeah. I week. would also say when Patrick and I had a debate on fighting uh, and we were sitting beside each other and I actually wanted to reach over and <laughs> fight him after uh, the discussion <laughs> on fighting, I would say that that one is up there for me as well.
2: I, yeah, yeah the Christmas, uh, the Christmas episode was good. Cause I don't think we've done a Christmas episode since, but um, another one that stands out for me was our first one back uh, our first COVID episode um we were all at home I, I think it was in like may or something and we we're all just talking about um just all the possibility with the nhl and i just it was uh it was good to be back that was fun to do i think that was the first episode we ever did just on our own and um you know kind of glad we we continued that that was a that was a good start
0: yeah that was kind of a weird time um when all that happened and we didn't really know what was going to happen um uh, if I were to think, I think the thing I missed the most is just being in studio. Being in studio was fun, having that routine of getting up and going, setting everything up, setting up the live stream through Twitter. Uh, I miss that a lot. And being in studio, I feel like the, the way we talk to each other is a little bit different. And I also just think listening back, and I told you guys uh, probably about a couple months ago, listening back to the first episodes we've done compared to the episodes now, uh, we got a lot better. And um, I think we should uh, you know, give, our, give ourselves some credit. But for me, I'd probably say my, fa- my favorite one was probably the Christmas one. That was the funniest moment for sure. I've never laughed so hard, I think during a radio show, but the one that i that I thought was just a, a good, a good show was, was the fighting debate. Um, Cause we, we got to the studio. We said, hello, we sat down, debated hockey and then forgot about it. Um, at least I hope we forgot about it. Anyway, uh, that was a ton of fun. And, it, and it's been, it's been, it's been fun to record with you guys. And for those who have tuned into our show and continue to do so, thank you. And hopefully we'll uh, we'll have some stuff lined up in the future some interviews and we have a big interview today that we uh, we're excited to 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 get to so
1: yeah i do miss the uh, audio quality now that you said it. spirit live now i'm sort of thinking back it also looks way cooler than this does
0: yes
2: it's way but it's like it's so much easier to feed off each other when we're all in the studio that's yeah. such a i don't know one day hopefully next year we'll be there's back, something but...
1: to be said about being in the same room <clears throat> with yeah. everybody to do stuff this is the, this is good but it's not the same
0: yes. yeah and i i think not being in studio has helped us improve our own recordings. We all have mics. We all have good headphones. We all have fairly quiet spaces and it helps also like being, being in TV labs in our program that tell us how to set up and stuff like that. It's been good. So, um, yeah, that just about does it for our sort of tribute to our 50th, 50th show. It's been, it's been a lot of fun and it's fun to do shows with you guys. And, uh, we've definitely had some good moments, some heated debates. Uh, I've definitely, uh, Finish shows, feeling irritated with some of you. Uh, I've definitely done shows feeling irritated at the time. And I know you guys can say the same because we've talked about some pretty, uh, some pretty, some pretty fun stuff, but also some heavy stuff here and there. I think we've a good thing about our show is we cover a wide variety of topics. We don't just, we're not just strictly analysis. We'll get into some, some touchy subjects some stuff that's hard to talk about. And I think that's important. And uh, it's been a lot of fun to do show with you guys. And I hope, um, you know, here's to the next 50, but that just about does it for this part. We're going to send it over to an interview. We have a guest with Marco D'Amico, AKA the hockey expert on Twitter. He is a stats guy for 91 FM and yeah, we'll take you over there right now. All right, guys, we are inside the interview here. Patrick Talon, Luke Burroughs, and Nick Robinson. This time with a guest uh, long overdue. I've been talking to him for, for quite some time. Uh, Marco D'Amico, a.k.a. The Hockey Expert on Twitter. Uh, per his bio, his stats guru, amateur scouting and analytics, and a former stats expert at 99, 91.9 Sports FM. Uh, Marco, thanks so much uh, for coming on. Oh, it's a pleasure guys. Hockey season's back. Yeah. This is my favorite time. Generally we do this in
3: October, but like, you know, <laughs> yeah. better now than never. So yeah. I- I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, lots of hockey to talk about, lots of things going on right now in the league. So it's going to be a good show.
0: Yeah. Um, the Canadian division has been a ton of fun and Marco, you and I have talked about that endlessly, but before we touch on, on some of the more recent news, let's get to know you a little bit. And uh, cause you've built quite, quite the pre- impressive following on Twitter. Um, and, and your Twitter presence is well known around. You've, you've gotten some pretty good engagement. So um, before we get to that, I want to know your role in radio and st- specifically with 91.9. Can you sort of talk about how you got that role specifically as a stats expert?
3: Yeah, so that was, uh, that was a really very random situation. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Um, my, uh, I knew George Larac uh, personally because of his affiliation with the uh, Auto Pre in Montreal, the, the, the car company they did do a lot of advertising together and one day I just so happened to be in the office and my uncle was like hey you know you guys looking for uh, an intern by any chance and he was just like yeah what do you know kid and you try telling George Larac, who's 6'3 <laughs> an infinite amount of pounds that well tell me what you want to know and I'll find it so within a week uh, I was at their uh, at the office in in Montreal and this was right around the time of the 2016 draft um, and we all remember the 2016 draft because yep. PK Subban was everywhere and those rumors were coming out from him. Uh, and so it was pretty wild. It was, it was a really fun summer. Um, and I did that for about a good year and a half, uh, got to meet a lot of people. Uh, Joel Bouchard, uh, came in a few times to, to meet us when he was coaching the, uh, Armada, um, you know, uh, interviewing guys like, uh, La Tendresse, uh, Milan Lucic, Max Pacioretty, uh, Brendan Gallagher, uh, you know, and and meeting legends, you know, just walking through there, like just a crazy experience. Um, And this is kind of why I like to push people in that direction. I went to Concordia University. Uh, They funnel a lot of the English Montreal uh, sports journalists. So um, for those that follow the Calgary Flames, newly hired Selim Valji comes from my group of friends uh, at Concordia. So we, um, we have a pretty tight-knit circle, but it was the first time that I, who didn't actually study journalism, proceeded to partake in sports journalism. So uh, non-traditional, but a whole lot of fun. Cool.
2: So Marco, uh, a discussion we have on here quite a bit, uh, numerous times, um, is sort of the advanced analytics versus the eye test debate. Uh, and where you stand on that, it's probably pretty clear just based on your background. But we'd love to hear your opinion, add it to to what we think, because we have we're kind of all over the map. Yeah. Where uh where, where do you kind of see yourself on that spectrum? Because it certainly is a spectrum. That's something oh, that yeah. we've learned. Believe it's not me. not one or the <laughs> other. So where do you kind of put yourself?
3: And some people don't even know where they are on the spectrum. Yeah. So like you have Pierre Maguire, that's like. Analytics don't prove anything. The eye test tells me that, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning were good. Yeah, but if you look at the stats, Tampa Bay was an excellent analytical team. Like, what? No. Um, I feel like there are certain statistics that are kind of um, extrapolated and and used as kind of figureheads by the analytics community, and I feel like that is where it kind of loses its pizzazz, in my opinion. You have to be able to take these statistics and tell a story. And I feel like those that are able to kind of – Crunch the numbers, really, you know, uh, establish a low standard of deviation when it comes to the way that their statistics are laid out, and then kind of present them in a way that is both, you know, kosher and easily engageable. Well, then that's how you get people. This is why, for example, something that uh, Patrick and I go- joke about not, uh, pretty often are heat maps. Heat maps are the bane of my existence because it's so difficult to actually track without the proper model, and 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 so generally people will just look at that and take it for granted where, where Patrick and I kind of go in even further is look at the methodology behind how that heat map is then formed what instances or what actions on the ice then kind of you know influence that model so a lot of people will ignore the methodology whereas I feel like if people would take more time to explain their methodology I feel like a lot more people would be on board uh, and it would act as a great complement to the eye test and I feel like the best teams in terms of amateur and professional scouting are able to utilize both optimally. And I feel like we see that, for example, I'll give you, it pains me to say this, but the Toronto Maple Leafs are able to take analytics and the eye test and and zone in on players that could definitely give more than what, you know, normal fans would think based on trends, based on the way that they play. So I'm very much of the analytics community. Uh, I'm just, I was one of the early ones that was able to try and convince certain, I would say uh, veterans of the field without necessarily calling them dinosaurs, uh, veterans of the field uh, that there is, you know, a, a serious need for further uh, discussion on that for the development in that. Uh, and I feel like if it weren't that much of an importance, the NHL wouldn't be investing billions of dollars on pucks that are now considered too heavy. Uh, for certain hockey players, uh, we 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 need to advance on that because other sports, you know, soccer for example, I, I follow soccer a lot. The analytics game in soccer is just like, wow, uh, they're on another level. So uh, I, if hockey's trending there, I feel like it can only benefit the sport.
1: So you sort of touched on it when you mentioned Pierre Maguire and maybe some of the quote-unquote dinosaurs of the field. But, you know, I'll ask you in your opinion, why do you think some people are so against using advanced stats? That can be anybody in the media, just casual fans. Like, why do you think people are against it?
3: Well, it depends. Like, if you look at a guy like Pierre Maguire, Pierre Maguire uh, was fundamentally uh, a storyteller, uh, a guy that was able to and sometimes go into, you know, excruciating detail. On certain players and and grow you know how they grew up and what university they went to and I feel like it's that kind of storytelling that's very personal. Analytics removes really the personal from it and looks specifically at the performance. There is no influence on stats, stats or stats. It's how you go about presenting them that that determines the narrative. I feel like it threatens certain people. I feel like it threatens old school journalists who don't kind of understand what's going on. Steve Simmons, I'm talking about you. Uh, you know, if you look at other journalists that are in the know right now, you look at Arpan Basu in Montreal, uh, Salim Valji in Calgary, uh, you know, the uh, Daliwal as well in Vancouver. These are individuals that have caught on, put in the effort, put in the time, and are therefore able to provide better content to everybody that is willing to read it. So why not? I feel like th- we've come to a crux right now in sports journalism, where if you don't have an analytical side to your, your evaluation... And to your, to, to your content, I use zone out because it, it becomes that kind of old school, almost like, you know, uh, emotional, uh, evaluation of sport. And frankly, I have no time for an emotional evaluation of sport. This is, we're in 2021, like we have AI that can do your job. So you got to bring in something that's both personal and factual. And I feel like the best of the best are rising to the top at the right time.
1: Well, it's funny that you mentioned Steve Simmons because, you know, somebody like him won't use numbers to tell his stories, but he's more interested in perhaps the number of hot dogs, for instance, a certain superstars eating on his off days. So it's funny that you bring that up, but Pat, I'll throw it over to you.
0: Yeah. Um, this sort of ties into the last questions and this sort of the theme because you are, you are a stats guy. Um, what do you think is a common misconception what do you think people misunderstand about using advanced statistics because we know we've talked about it endlessly some people it seems like it's sort of a with you or against you kind of mentality so what do you think people sort of misunderstand
3: i feel like it's a double-faceted question first of all i feel like there's a certain arrogance to the of the analytics community to those who don't necessarily appreciate it as much specifically because they it's almost bible thumping to a degree like here are the stats my stats don't lie. Whatever opinion you may have is now irrelevant because my stats say so. Now, I anybody who's done statistics for a long time in their lives or any number crunching whatsoever, there is a standard deviation. Now, that deviation can be, at times, higher than you think. So there is no way that your stats are the truth necessarily all the time. But however, they provide a pattern for you to base yourself on, on long term. So anybody that's looking at... Um, I don't know, let's throw a, a player out there. Anybody that's looking at Austin Matthews and his uh, advanced statistics say when it comes to defensive acumen, uh, anybody who thinks that Austin Matthews is not a good defensive player because the Leafs do not produce well uh, in the playoffs, um, no, we need to dive deeper. We need to look at what makes Austin Matthews good or bad. And ultimately, anybody who takes the time to then dive into it, become, it becomes more interesting. Uh, one of the key, uh, I would say, metrics uh, that would be, I guess, fundamental to people not being able to understand is expected goals and expected goals against. You know, it's a metric that is consistently being, you know, nipped at, expected by who, you know, why? And every model is, you know, somewhat different. But, you know, the key crux is if you play a certain way, you're expected to score a certain amount of goals. So it's a key underlier to understanding how good a player is in providing offense and limiting it both sides so again uh people need to open themselves up um i feel like i've spent my entire uh adult life trying to teach individuals that don't know anything about stats to enjoy stats uh and just yesterday my uncle messaged me saying hey Kakanyemi had the highest expected goals yes last night that's amazing and i just like i explained to a 55 year old what expected goals for were and he's on natural stat trick every day now just trying to check out what that is so it's all in the way you present it.
2: So, if we're talking relevancy, I guess, um, advanced stats this season, do you, and there might not be any difference, but do you see this season resulting in any um, conflicts or issues in terms of uh, shortened play, uh, realignment, divisions being isolated? Is there any any of that being taken into account when advanced stats are being used over the next four months?
3: I feel like it'll become probably more of an anomaly the further on we go into the season. So right now it's sloppy hockey. This is where you can distinguish the good from the bad, right? Whereas the moment that the pace starts picking up and the the difference in, 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 in possession, uh, the difference in uh, shot quality, uh, the, the, they're going to shake off the rust. They're going to go to those harder areas the tighter the games get, because all the games are four point games now that all the games are interdivisional. So it's going to be tight. It's going to be practically playoff hockey uh, by February. Uh, it, it's already, we're seeing tight games like the Montreal Vancouver game. I didn't care that it was one o'clock in the morning when that game was over. I was sold from the, from the start to the end. That was playoff hockey. So, I feel like uh, we're going to get, if not more of a uh, a value from analytics right now because of the shortened season, because of how condensed uh, the games are, and also because teams are going to be playing themselves so often in such a small stretch of time uh, that it would even allow us to look at how different players adapted their performances based on game one to two to three versus the same team. So... It opens up an entire other narrative and that would be series performances, player versus team. Is that
2: something that is being taken into account already? Like looking at specific series?
3: I think, I think right now, if you look at certain teams, like I know, for example, I I'm going about it now with Montreal. Like I specifically wanted to see what Montreal versus Vancouver would give because in my honest opinion, that might actually be a playoff series uh, in, in, in May. So it's worth, it's worth mentioning because Media is going, yeah, I know exactly. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. (laughs) The the banter. But from an analytics perspective, it's even more relevant because here are Montreal and Vancouver playing three games straight this very week. So it's relevant once you get to the playoffs because you already have all that data. And then you can say, well, okay, Montreal going into the playoffs should probably shore up this, this, and this to better counter the strengths of Vancouver, which are X, Y, and Z. So to me, I think it becomes ever more important.
1: Well, I would, I think I'm definitely speaking for everybody when I say a Montreal Vancouver playoff series or just games like last night in general would up the watchability of the show for sure. But I'll move away now from sort of just the focused analytics discussion more so to you, Marco. Um, Maybe just take us through a bit how you got your uh, first steps in the online hockey community and how you've been able to build up a following like you have.
3: Honestly, like this, just talking, talking, uh, sharing stats, um, I'm more of a storyteller per se, like I have a master's degree in history. So I, I'm not traditionally uh, a, an analytics guy. I just have uh, a degree that forced me to do both stats and look at sports. Uh, so it kind of worked out well. It's based on being able to tell a story, to relate to fans, be they the same fans of the team you root for or not, uh, and, and really being able to kind of market yourself. Um, I know that my, my Twitter handle says the hockey expert, Uh, but to be completely honest with you, that was a running gag between my friends and I, uh, and when we saw that the handle was available, uh, I was dared to take it, uh, or face a lifetime of shame. So I, I chose no shame and went with the handle, uh, through that time, uh, based on connections, uh, radio show segments, uh, podcasts, uh, you know, you build up a following, you, you, you interact with as many people as you want, um, and it really is fun. And, and, and if, you, if you were to ask my fiance right now, like, how did he build the following? She'd give you a couple of swear words followed by so many podcasts. Um, so I guess my goal is to be as present as possible uh, and be within as many conversations as possible. And The more you diversify uh, the way you look at a sport and, and talk about a sport, I feel like it gives you that platform to be something unique. Uh, this is why I enjoy watching a lot of these younger journalists come up right now and tackling subjects uh, that are very unique uh, and, and haven't been hammered out. And that's what's driving content right now is that unique ability right now, especially with COVID, all this time we have on our hands to to further assess, further address, and then further contextualize things. Uh, and I feel like hockey as a sport has grown for that uh, for, for that very trend, and I was happy to be a part of it.
0: Awesome. All right. So, uh, you're a Habs fan. We talk Habs all the time. Luke is a Canucks fan. Um, let's, uh, let's get into last night's game. And before we get into who, who, who played, who outplayed, who, whatever, that was probably the most entertaining Montreal Canadiens game I've seen in the last three years. Maybe. I don't know if you, I don't know if you agree. Two years, maybe. Do you yeah. Remember cause...
3: that Montreal versus Washington game that ended six, five with Domi scoring in the last. Okay. Yeah. Times? Yes. I that, do remember that one. Yes. That, that was there. That.
0: So but that's it. Yeah. But that that was fun, and um, honestly, I didn't think either team played that great. Like the off the offense was good, but but I can't look at that game and say Vancouver deserved to win it more than Montreal, or Montreal deserved to win it more than Vancouver. It was just, um, and Luke is already ready to say some stuff, but I don't disagree. Um, I'm just you're just happy with with the dub. So, um, Nick, as an outsider's perspective, you won't have a bias, so I'm gonna start with you as the Sens fan. <laughs> what did you make of last night's game, and what were your thoughts on uh, the six five victory the Canucks had over the Canadians? Oh man, like where do you even start? So many goals. I, first off games like that are great for
1: hockey. And you know that Gary Bettman is sitting in the NHL front office with a big smile on his face when he sees games like that, because that's quite frankly where everybody wants the NHL to be. And that was so good to see last night. Um, You know, both teams obviously didn't defend very well at all, but there were some great goals. I thought uh, Toffoli was excellent last night. Again, obviously with his first three goals, as a hab, by far his best game so far, um, he looked dangerous. I didn't like how, for Vancouver, I didn't like defensively. I feel like they gave Montreal way too many opportunities on the rush. The amount of tap Montreal was able to score, Toffoli pretty much had to stand with a stick on the ice the yeah. whole night to score. But same goes for Montreal on the other end. I don't like how they defended the net front at all. Um, you look at Besser's second goal, where he was pretty much just able to chop a backhander from the slot uncontested. There's a lot of things both teams are going to work on. Um, I would pretty much expect almost the opposite the next time the two play each other because everybody's going to be so focused on the defense that we're going to forget to score now. So it's going to be an interesting one to follow uh, the next time they play each other, but it was a great game last
0: night. Luke, your thoughts?
2: Well, um, it like regardless of who you're cheering for, that was a good game. I think we all agree there. I, I kind of found a lot of... A lot of players were very off last night, and a lot—I think a lot of players had a really good game. Um, I will say to Foley, though, if you look at his goals, they were given to him a lot of them. Um, The defense, the defending is just brutal to watch on a lot of those. Um, I thought, I thought, you know, here comes the bias. I thought Besser looked really good. I thought Horvat looked really good.
3: Um, Yeah,
1: Pedersen
2: looked garbage i
3: don't don't want to go
1: there
2: (laughs) so bad i and i don't he hasn't
0: looked there the whole season yeah Yeah, this is what i wanted to get to so i'll put it out now because i think our thoughts on the game would probably all be be the same it was it was a it was a it was a fun game it was a messy game but luke let me ask you what elias patterson because
2: I i don't know because this
0: is this is uh he he it's one thing to play well and not score but it's another thing to play the way he did. My I'm not big on plus minus, but minus three in a game where your team scores five goals he, and you are the offensive guy. What do you what do you make of his of his performance lately?
2: He looks upset. He looks rattled out there. Um, and it, it just it keeps getting worse. He had a the opening game, he he was normal, he he had an assist, he he looked fine. Since then, it's just been downhill. Um that being said though, he's I don't know. Like if he, he, like he tried to go between the legs on price last night. That is not at all what I would have expected from someone whose confidence is in the ground right now. And so, yeah, him going down and trying that, it just, it, it's confusing. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't want to call him snake bitten because it's not that he is getting really good chances and he's just getting unlucky. He is just so in his head right now. And I do think, I do think all, all it's going to take is one, one goal and he'll, He'll he'll snap it. He'll get out of it. So I'm I'm not concerned long term. But oh boy, it's just it sucks to watch him right now because, you know, like he's he's supposed to be the most exciting player on the ice. Um, and just circling back, Hughes didn't look good last night either. But that's not he's um he's been fine uh, for the first three games. Uh, for sure could be better, but not not at all concerning like like Pedersen is right now.
0: All right, Marco. Last night. What did you like and what did you not like about Montreal's performance?
3: Uh, it's going to be a mirror image of what we said about the Canucks. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> offensively, at five on five, wow. I uh, just, uh, you know, I feel like Vancouver's special teams, that power play is just unreal. I mean, the Quinn Hughes, JT Miller, Horvat kind of combo that they have going on on the left side of the power play is, I just... Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. Keep doing that. You guys are gonna make the playoffs with that. I don't even care. Uh, where I was concerned about was defensively. I, if you look at uh, the first Foley goal, where Kakaniami just, you know, cross ice pass to by himself at the blue line, and you just have like a bad line change, and Quinn Hughes just rushing to get there, and and no chance, just far in. I, it's, it was just such sloppy, you know non-training camp prior to season type of hockey which we have to get used to i feel like the first 10 games of the season are going to be like that where i found that i i you know vancouver kind of didn't play its game was that i found the high slot highly accessible usually vancouver plays a man short on the high slot so that they don't have anybody kind of being able to do the cross crossing passes there were a lot of cross-ice passes last night. The Gallagher goal being one of them, but that was, again, on the rush. Uh, the Cockney Emmy goal, though, where he was kind of alone in the slot and allowed enough time, and, and Cockney Emmy has, you know, his own issues in terms of the speed of his release, uh, was still able to get that shot off, which I found to be really cool uh, as a Habs fan, but also I question that as a, as a, as a as, you know, a third-party guy attempting to be, at least, uh, watching that play. So I found that... Uh, or I think that you know Travis Green is going to c- come around and be like, okay, against Montreal, the center has to play the high slot absolutely at all times because that's how they're dangerous is that they you know they, they penetrate the zone, the puck goes back to the D's. The D's end up finding the forward that's in the high slot and the puck generally finds its way to the net and then the back of the net. That's the way Mon- that's Montreal's bread and butter. So if Vancouver is going to be successful tonight, the high slot is going to be occupied by a Vancouver Canucks center, in my opinion, at all times.
0: Um, well, I, I do want to ask you, because this has been the talk the past couple of weeks. It's kind of died down, but but it's still been talked about. We've talked about it on our show before, and that is the Pierre Luc Dubois conversation. He was just pushed to the th- I think he's centering the third line. I think we saw that this morning in, in Columbus. Yeah. Um this has been talked about. Montreal's in on it, apparently, according to Nick Kiprios. Take with that what you will, though. Uh, this is the same guy who said Weber would retire, and then Weber came back a day later. So, anyway, let's talk about that. So, do you think there is a move to be made uh, between Bergevin and Kekalainen and for Dubois? And if so, would you do it?
3: Oh,
0: Tough question, but... I know, I know, because
3: there is the partisan aspect to that, and then there's the logical aspect to that. No if the Habs are going for it this year, next year, it makes sense to sell the future for the present. And so that's why I believe a Kakanyemi centered deal for Dubois kind of makes sense. Uh, but for me, again, when I, I watch both players play uh, at the age of 17, Dubois even 16, uh, in the Maritimes, I think they have the same kind of potential. You know, give or take five points uh, on average, I feel like they're both eventually going to be 60 to 65 point centers every season uh, on, on really good teams. I feel like Dubois could potentially have that one to two 70 point seasons, depending on what wingers he has. So for me, it's a today or tomorrow kind of uh, uh, approach, right? So if you want to go for it this year, you get the local guy, I can see it, but you know, you have to add, you know, the fact that he has to quarantine for 14 days, which would kind of make sense as of next week because the Habs are off for four or five games. Uh, You have to add the fact that he's got to get used to the system. Um, And again, it's two years and then you got to sign him again. And that's, you know, if even if you bridge Suzuki next year, like you're going to have an issue and you have to re-sign Dano. There's a lot of insecurity that I wouldn't be trading. I wouldn't be running to trade controlled assets like a Suzuki, like a Kakaniani. Uh, especially when you don't know what's going to happen with Phil Deneau. Now, if Phil Deneau agrees to an extension, okay, then we can start having that conversation. But ultimately, to me, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and I've said this a lot, we've anointed him a first-line center. I don't think he's there yet. I don't think he's a first-line center yet. I don't think he can take a team on his back a whole season, not 10 games in the playoffs, a whole season, and make them a playoff team. I feel like last year he benefited benefited from being on the best defensive team, one of the best defensive teams in the NHL, uh, analytically, statistically, and visually. Uh, and so he never really has to deal with the defensive side. He is a guy that is going to be deployed 70, 70 to 75% of the time in an offensive zone situation. Barely any PK time, he's cons- consistently playing offense. I don't know how that would translate in Montreal. Whereas in Montreal, we demand two-way excellence from centers. I don't know. Now, obviously, you can easily say, well, then just fire Claude Julien, which, you know, maybe I agree with you. But any other coach or any other GM in Montreal is going to look at the situation and be like, okay, you at least have to be consistent in face-offs. You have to be have a good two-way presence consistently. And you have to score consistently because as we've seen with Jonathan Drouin if you're a French Canadian player and you come to Montreal and you have a five game slump my man good luck you better have the fortitude
0: yeah and uh I I think I would agree for the most part and I want to touch on on Cockney I just real quick just to get your thoughts and uh we'll keep it short because we do have other topics to get to but I want to ask you and this is what we talked about yesterday is the peculiar situation that is Montreal's center depth. You have Nick Suzuki who technically is Montreal's first line center at this point, you have Phil Deneau playing with Tatar and Gallagher, and then you have Kakeniemi playing with Armia and Toffoli. And looking back at at Kakeniemi's draft, the potential that people saw was similar to Barkov was similar to, um, to Kopitar. That's what people thought of Kakeniemi, a good two-way center uh, who can play that type of game. Now he hasn't been given the opportunity, in my opinion, to, to flourish. He's been given third line minutes with third and fourth line wingers. Everyone is saying that Deneau's future depends on Kotkaniemi, but if he is not given the chance, what do you think happens with Philip Deneau? And I guess what I'm trying to ask you is, do you think Philip Deneau resigns or not? And how much do you think hinges on Kotkaniemi? I feel like a lot of it hinges on Kotkaniemi. We discuss this
3: uh, daily at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, so this becomes a question of leverage if Cockney is able to come in and kind of take care of business, uh, produce like a top six center and be defensively responsible at five on five. Well, similarly to what we see with Suzuki, he's going to wind up on the PK soon. Right. Uh, And we've been harping on Cockney face-offs. He went from 11% to 44, 46% to like 66% to 77% last night. So, there's progress in his game. There's consistent progress in his game. Uh, nothing leads me to believe that he won't be a top six center at this point. It's it's the question of will he be a bona fide first line center. But as you pointed out, Suzuki is arguably, arguably, I will say, yeah, pretty much there at yep. this point. So, eh, what do you do? And so if I'm Mark Bergevin, I wait because the longer Bergevin waits into the season, the more leverage he will have. And if, if Dano really just wants a paycheck, well, at that point, you, before the deadline, you can, you know, accommodate that by providing the extension and forcing a trade. If it means you can bring in a center of the same ilk or better. And I feel like there's a lot to be juggled with here. My personal opinion is you go with youth in this situation because Montreal has never never developed a top line center in my lifetime and they've already got one in the last year it's rare to see yeah. Vancouver fans you guys have Pedersen who was drafted as a left wing initially converted to a center and became your first line center within 15 to 20 games I found that amazing and you had Horvat on the team who, who easily in my opinion is, is a step above Deneau especially from a goal scoring, a goal scoring perspective So you can appreciate when you see a young kid kind of come in, take the reins as Suzuki does. But when you have two, it becomes extremely complicating as to how to deliver ice time. So I agree that he might not be given the best offensive tools to produce. And a lot of people have taken that to, to, to label him a bust. But I feel like if, if people take the time to study the analytics on Cockney I feel like he dominates the game on every single situation except the score sheet that may be due to the way he is surrounded uh that may be due to the fact that his stick may be too long that may be due to a lot of things but ultimately if he does everything right already the defense aspect is handled the offense will come
0: right uh well said and um i I think I, i think i'd agree with with just everything you said um all right well let's touch on some other news and this not as not as fun to talk about but that is uh Ovechkin, Samsonov, Kuznetsov, um, and I believe Dmitry Orlov on COVID-19 protocols list. So Dmitry Orlov had a hotel room gathering uh, within the last week or so, I guess. And as a result, the team was fined $100,000. Uh, Ovechkin spoke out. He said, I regret my choice to spend time together with my teammates in our hotel room and away from our locker room areas. I will learn from this experience. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know the logistics. I guess players can... They have a design designated area in hotels and lounges, but they can't be together in their rooms. Personally, doesn't, I don't understand that when they're going to be together in the lounge, but not in the rooms. Regardless, this is the rule that the NHL set. And I think this shows that they're going to crack down on it because we've seen how, how bad it got with the MLB. We've seen how bad it's gotten with the NFL it shows. They're taking it seriously. Marco, what do you think about this? And do you think this is, this is worth it? Do you think this is a, a good, uh, I guess, sort of warning call?
3: I feel like this is going to be like we're just starting the season. The Canadians are, or it, sorry, the Canadians, all teams are playing 56 games. It's 56 games. Look at how many games were like postponed or, or, or delayed uh, in the NFL. The NFL plays 17 games now. It's, you're opening up a can of worms if you're allowing your players to be in, undisciplined in any way, shape, or form. So I'm, fully on board with them following, you know, the protocol and rules. Uh, personally, for me, I feel like it was abundantly clear, uh, at least in the, in the bubble uh, in Toronto and Edmonton, but even more so now, like you cannot in this situation, allow yourself to venture in a way that would potentially put you at risk of spreading something and ruining it for your team, which they now have, right? Like let's, let's call a spade a spade. Why are they the only four? If you, if you, like they played hockey together, they practiced together. Why are they the only four? Mm -hmm. So it leads me to believe that it was, you know, a tactile uh, form of, of, or, or, or whatever Uh, they had to be in close proximity for that transmission to occur. So that's exactly why, the NHL put in that kind of restriction. I understand it. When I saw the $100,000 fine, though, oh, I was not expecting that. I, I, wow, that's a lot of money. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy that the league decided to make an example out of the Washington Capitals. Um, now, obviously, I know some folks in Russia think this is, this is, uh, you know, racial profiling, and 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 they're out to get Russians. Um, but. I mean, at the end of the day, it also is telling that it's the four Russians on the team that were hanging out together alone in a in a room. So it has it has less to do with the fact that they're Russian and more to do with the fact that the four Russians decided to break the rules together. I I feel like that's the thing. Like if Connor McMichael were in the room, we wouldn't be talking about this right now. That's true. You know, like it would be an irrelevant thing. But ultimately, that you be you know uh, Ovechkin's wife, Russian media. I think this is a non-issue from a a racial perspective. They messed up. They done goofed. And ultimately, there are strict protocols. The NHLPA is behind this as well. So you have no leg to stand on. Limit contact just as much as regular citizens are are limiting contact. And, you know, only congregate when there is a practice or game situation. I feel like that is so clear. And the fact that they give them lounges so they can be spread out Uh, in hotel rooms to, 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 to chill and, and be around each other. Like that's more than most of us get right now as, as regular people. So, you know, it's, other teams are following it. There's 29 other teams or sorry, 30 other teams. We're going to be okay. So follow the rules. No, 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 no fine accordingly.
2: Yeah. I think, I think I would just kind of echo everything that was just said. I, as as kind of trivial as it might seem, um, yeah, when you really think about it, what's the difference between the hotel room and the lounge, that's not that's not up to up to people not involved to to discuss. Um regardless of what the rule is, the rule is the rule and and they they broke it. I, I don't know what what the context is in terms of other teams or other players on that team or other teams around the league. I don't know what's going on there, but those four people broke the rules and yeah, a hundred thousand dollars. That was, um, that was a bit of a surprise, but clearly the NHL is, is showing no, no slack with this, which yeah. is a good thing. Yeah. Um, Unfortunate for the, for the players involved, but, as far as we know they they broke the rule that was outlined to them and that's the punishment i i i think it's uh it's an unfortunate situation but i don't think it's unfair
0: yeah and i won't lie i don't understand having if they're going to be together in the lounges but Unless in the lounge, they're six feet apart. I don't know but what it the doesn't, rules are. But
2: like the rule is the rule. Right, like exactly, just... exactly.
0: We it, that, That's what I'm saying. It's like I might not understand it, but it is still a rule and you do have to follow yeah. that. So that kind of that took to um, Ovechkin's wife actually responding on Instagram and I'll sort of paraphrase here, but she said, of course, only Russian players on Washington were together in a hotel. Of course, all the other players are staying away and separating themselves uh, from their teammates. Of course, you can't catch the virus when you and your teammates sit together on the bench, hug each other when they score a goal or when they all are together in the lounge or locker room. Players can't get affected at malls or supermarkets, et cetera. Virus only works in a hotel room. The only, the only one who came up with, the only, the person who came up with this rule is obviously very logical, by the way, both of and Orlov have antibodies. Unfortunately, not everyone is competent uh, in their antibodies, value and properties. That's loosely translated. Uh, but hmm. again, comes back to the, the sort of profile. We don't have to get into that, but I just think uh, we won't touch too much on it. Cause I, I think, I, I think it's a good thing what the league is doing. It's, it's uh it's a, it's a rule and, and things have gotten out of hand quickly. Um, even not, not in sports, we can touch on. So, um, yeah. And, like, uh, let, and with sport, like look at the sports, NBA. exactly. Kyrie yeah. Irving. Find yeah. the same amount for yeah. being just
3: as big, just breaking the rules. Like mm-hmm. every league does it. It has nothing to do with you.
0: Yeah. So let's, uh, let's go back to the NHL real quick. Um, as we wrap up here, we're about two weeks, almost or a week and a half, roughly, uh, into the NHL season. Uh, any players or teams that have surprised you the most? We'll start with surprises. New Jersey. I feel like New Jersey, like obviously,
3: as, like, as we saw right now, just live, mm. um, Mackenzie Blackwood is on the uh, COVID uh, list, unfortunately. He was, on, he was just fantastic. But New Jersey is just, to me, uh, a transformed team. Um, you know, the addition of Ryan Murray has just been great. For for the New Jersey Devils, he stabilized PK Subban, something I feel that only Andre Markov can boast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that that's fantastic. Uh, Jack Hughes is here, ladies and gentlemen. Finally. Jack Hughes <laughs> is, has arrived, and he looks like he's ready for a point per game season, if that if if not more. Yep. So, I'm loving the way that they surrounded their youth. I'm loving the way that Jack Hughes is now being positioned as that number one. Um. I feel like ultimately uh, New Jersey has the spoiler tag on them. I feel like they can kind of come in and maybe if they continue this kind of squeak into that third or fourth spot uh, to make the playoffs. Um, because obviously the, te- uh, the you know, there's an obvious team that's disappointed uh, that we'll probably get to. And Montreal Canadiens are probably part of that reason. Uh, and that's the Pittsburgh Penguins um but I, I do want to talk about one other team that's that's done really well and surprised me and that's the San Jose Sharks uh San Jose for all intents and purposes last year was a lottery team like they gave Ottawa a fifth yeah. overall pick yeah or sorry a third overall pick it was Ottawa's pick that was fifth overall yeah um so there's no Stutzla without this Carlson trade uh and there's no there's no Stutzla without you know the Sharks tanking um i feel like Thomas hurdle has taken the next step in his development. I feel like he's kind of reached that number one center status. Uh, you factor in a healthy Eric Carlson. Uh, you have, you know, Burns that's ready to play this season as well. Uh, I feel like it's a team that's far more balanced uh, and, you know, especially with the division that they're in, I've, I think they can make noise. I think they can, they can push for the playoffs. And from what I've seen from them lately, uh, they're not missing Joe Thornton. Uh, they're not missing, you know, a, a plethora of players that have been like, go. I feel like they're kind of slowly pushing towards uh, coming back to at least, you know, the middle point in the league.
0: Mm. All right. Well, we touched on, on, surprises. I think I would agree with just about all of those. And Luke, I'll ask you now disappointments who, who is disappointed. We talked when we did our, our pre-show uh, a couple of weeks ago, who we think would surprise and disappoint. I don't remember what we said, but after this week and a half, who has, who has uh, disappointed you? Player or team it can be either or.
2: Well, I mean it kind of it kind of goes along with um Marcos surprises. Boston has looked questionable as of yet. And I, I'm I'm just looking at um I've just pulled up the standings here. Like it's so hard. Everyone's like two one and oh, one one and one. Like it's it's so it's so tricky. But um either New Jersey's good or Boston is struggling, uh, either or. Um minnesota's looked good okay. uh i i think i i forget pat who is your calder pick
0: i i had kaprizov yeah
2: okay so yeah kaprizov's looked good Man. um it's uh Understood. that that division i mean i think everyone kind of had one two set yeah. out um with vegas and colorado either or but i mean aside from la when when you look at that and maybe anaheim too like that's who knows? Really? Yeah. Um, I would love to see Minnesota do well. I want, I want them to do well. So, so bad. Yeah. They just, it's. And
3: they're playing without Marco Rossi. Yeah,
2: yeah. Like it, it's long. Yeah. It's um, it's long overdue for them, I think, but again, we'll see. They're three, one to oh know at this point. Um, we'll see. That's, that's a big surprise for me. Um, Carolina has, uh it, and, and I'm kind of speaking in relative terms cause I had very high hopes for them. Again, three games in um, I think they, they could be looking better, but uh, it, it's hard to say, but I, I was very high on them. They were my um, I had them over Tampa in our, in our preseason predictions, but uh, we'll see. I, I don't think it's anywhere near um, any kind of discussion about panicking there, but Carolina, I think could be looking better. Um yeah, I'd, I'd leave it at that. There's a few other teams, especially in that division I could go into. Detroit and Columbus are both interesting cases, but um, it's just so early, I think.
0: All right. Well, the last the last thing I wanted to touch on, and this was um, Matthews. I think it was Matthews who said it, and that's about the league protecting their star players. And we talked about this, Luke, probably a year and a half ago, some of the abuse that Pedersen was taking and how no one really talked about it. And it was after the Montreal Toronto opening game that there were some cross checks that both teams took that both teams, best players took. Um, and now it's now everyone's saying the league needs to crack down on that The league needs to crack down on that. And two days later, three days later, whenever Montreal played Ottawa, uh, Tim Stutzel is out after being cross checked by Jake Muzzin. Um, what do you think is the appropriate response to this? I'll start with you, Marco. What do you think is the appropriate response to this? Because no one's disagreeing with, with what Toronto is saying. You don't want anyone to be cross-checked viciously. Brennan Gallagher broke his jaw. Matt Niskanen broke uh, Gallagher's jaw this playoffs. No one talked about it. No one said a word, and that was right to the jaw. He's taken the same thing from, from Zdeno Chara. Gallagher, even last night, has taken a, has taken a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of dirty stuff from, from some players. So nothing's wrong with it, but... Anyway, whatever. What do you think of this entire situation? I honestly, I feel like doing that
3: creates a further and further divide between regular season hockey and playoff hockey. Ultimately, whatever. You don't want to get cross-checked as hard 82 games, 56 games this year in a season. I can respect that, but know that when you get to the playoffs where it counts, where you need to win a round, uh, those that that amount of cross checking is going to be legal regardless because mm-hmm. it's the playoffs, and as much as they try to change the game at you know uh, in the regular season, ultimately, when it counts, the rule book gets incredibly reduced. And, and that's because, yes, we want to make sure that players get to the playoffs healthy, but in the playoffs, uh, no, no 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 you're 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 going to have to go through the damage if it if you want to win that cup and i respect that far more than what's going on and and what's being talked about with matthews because i can respect matthews coming out and 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 the leafs in general coming out and being like we don't want our star players to get cross-checked but i haven't heard a peep from Connor mcdavid not a word right whereas Sidney crosby when he first came into the league he was whining a lot about that and we And this was 15 years ago. He was called Cindy for five years because of that by Flyers fans. It's the the, the culture of hockey has changed so much that it's become like we've we've allowed this conversation to happen. So if if we're at a point where we're going to say we're going to crack down on cross-checking and anybody who's watched Montreal since the Toronto game, uh, I think they have like four cross-checking or five cross-checking penalties in, Too many. in three games Yeah. Um, amongst others. Uh, I, I, I feel like the league is aware. The, the league is going to listen on this because they want to make sure that their players, uh, the best players, are going to be there when it counts in the playoffs. Uh, but ultimately, I feel like as it happens any year, there's going to be awareness for two weeks, and then it's going to go back to normal. Yep. And I feel like that that is classic NHL hockey. Yeah.
2: It's um like it it's tricky. I feel kind of torn because yeah, like you said, Pat, no one is um no one is trying to argue with the Leafs. I just think it's uh it's just kind of I don't know what the word is. annoying, frustrating to see um Leafs fans all up in arms about Austin Matthews getting bullied in front of the net. Like, it's just, it's not unique to them. And we've, we've talked about this. Like, I I don't need to go on about this. It's not unique to the leaf situation. Um, That doesn't, that doesn't discredit the problem at hand at all. Uh, I just, I think everyone, everyone, instead of uh, kind of being upset with, with each other, like different fan bases being upset with each other, there's a there's an external problem that yeah. the the league needs to needs to figure out because it's it's just kind of been around for yeah. as long as we can remember.
0: So. Yeah, and I feel like uh, too bad Nick had to cut out because Stutzel is the one who got crosschecked by Muzzin. Nick hates the Leafs probably the most. I think I think I don't know. It's it's we all like to poke fun, but Nick would probably have more more to say on this. Kind of just echoing what we we've talked about before, but yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see if it continues. Hopefully Stutz is okay, and hopefully players aren't taking a, abuse. But at the same time, I hope referees aren't uh, over-functioning and making calls off of simple hockey plays that are sometimes just a push with a stick and not necessarily a cross-check. But that just about does it as we wrap up here on uh, episode 50 of uh, Take to Take. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure to have you on, Marco. Thanks so much. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week and this will be posted soon. Also, actually, before we, before we wrap up, Montreal, Vancouver, 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. I'm going to go with a... Three two Habs win, but it's going to be very ugly. Marco, what? Who do you think wins tonight? I was gonna go with a two one Habs win in overtime.
2: Luke, that, that would be fun. I, I would like to. I wish last night ended in overtime. Yeah. Um, but whatever.
0: Right? Like, fuck shootouts.
2: Um. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Is it is it
2: Demko and Al, or Allen tonight or? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
3: It is. It is Allen. Oh, I, I mean I, I would assume so like they didn't Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if
2: it's demco but I'm just a, I would I'm okay. pretty um, sure
3: it's both that didn't
0: okay.
2: play. I I feel I don't know, I maybe I'm just hoping, but I think it's going to be another really good game. Um Nick I I Nick said the opposite, but I I have a feeling it'll be um hopefully they haven't learned from their mistakes last night too much, yeah. but uh ooh, what do I say? Um I'll say 4-3 uh Vancouver in overtime.
3: That would all right. be that would be monstrous. I would love Go that. with the trend.
0: Yep. That, no. Man, why not?
3: Goals in two games. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No. Buddy. But but this has I been hope. a
0: fun. This it's been a fun series, and, and we'll get to do it all again on Saturday, yeah. uh, after tonight. So uh, for all those who tuned in, Marco, thanks again for being here. Really, really appreciate you're welcome back on whenever you'd like. And uh, for all those tuning in, thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. Take care, guys.